0: There is now a deep understanding that if we want to succeed as UK PLC, we have to be investing effectively across the whole country. All of these initiatives are bringing tech more into the fore and making it more accessible to a wider group of people. You know, we're not not in the sort of the tech bros world anymore where it's like this sort of exclusive <laughs> enclave for, for just a few One of the big mistakes that I often see founders going down is they're very solution-focused but not problem-focused. So they've got all these great ideas about what they want to build, but where are your customers?
1: But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting, and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. And I'm joined today by Claire Lewis, the CEO and co-founder of Baltic Ventures, a not-for-profit organisation that invests in and supports new businesses. Welcome Claire. Hello Jane, nice to meet you. Now let's start by talking about Baltic Ventures and I noticed that it's backed by a 4 million pound investment from the Liverpool City Region Combined Authority. So does that mean that you're looking to purely invest in
0: businesses in that specific area? So the investment from the combined authority is over a 5 year period and it's in our not-for-profit company. So it covers our operations. So what that means is, is that we're able to focus on those early stage companies that, you know, it's the kind of the market failure area where it's a bit too early for for many investors. So we get to focus on that. It's also important to say that we're also backed by an investment from an angel syndicate as well. So we've got that kind of one foot in the public and one foot in the private um, Mm -hmm. world. So... So what it means is, I mean, so our programs, we run an annual in-person accelerator program. The first one's kicking off in September. Those programs are open to anyone, but it's in-person Ooh. in Liverpool. So the the idea for that is, you know, attracting really talented early stage founders to a program and building a talented founder community in the city is really kind of at the core of what we're We're doing and looking how we can invest in and back those those founders.
1: And I'm assuming you've got lots of interest for that. How do you sort them out? How do you decide which ones that go forward and which don't?
0: It's been a lot of fun. So we closed applications for the first program, and was that 20th of June? We had about over 200 applications. So we've established criteria. So we basically we we look for companies that have already got an early product or an MVP, some kind of prototype. We're looking at. Specifically, digital tech companies rather than med tech, for example, or hardware. And we're looking for founding teams that have got domain expertise, because we kind of, you know, there's a lot of evidence that those are the tend to be more successful. So part of the process is just filtering and like making sure that that the companies are, are meeting those criteria. But then we we've interviewed a hundred companies as part of this application process, so it's been pretty intense over quite a short space of time as well so yeah so we interview them and then we have an investment committee that then looks at how aligned are these to our criteria and and then we had um we have an investor day so our angel syndicate meets the shortlisted companies and and picks the companies for the cohort from from there so it's 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 quite an intensive process
1: (laughs) it sounds like quite a process and you mentioned that obviously you've got kind of some public investment. So, what specifically is Liverpool City looking for? What does it expect basically as a return on its investment?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's been really fantastic working with a combined authority over the last two or three years. And I've, I've kind of been working in this early stage space for about ten years now, in public, private, sort of nationally, regionally. And what's been really interesting about working with with Liverpool is so. If you look at the stats, Liverpool has less scale-ups compared to many other kind of regional areas, for example. And so there's a gap in the ecosystem that the combined authority recognised and started to look at, OK, what do you need in place in a regional ecosystem to really make it work? So it's not just us, it's we're part of a kind of a bigger play. Um, they're also investing in a seed fund, they're investing in an angel network, there's another incubation, early stage deep tech organisation they've invested in called Labs. So we're part of a group of different organisations that are in concert looking at how we address this kind of early stage market failure. So, you know, our piece is really about attracting and bringing through the founder talent in the city region that then we can start to attract investment for that build bridges to investors elsewhere in the region or nationally or even internationally and start to ensure that ambitious founders have got everything they need in place in the in the ecosystem to sort of stay and build their companies in in liverpool you say that there's a bit of a gap in the startup scene but actually
1: uktn reported recently that liverpool's fintech sector is contributing more than two hundred million to the region's economy. Is there a reason why that has particularly taken off fintech in the area, and and are there other particular types of tech that are,
0: are doing particularly well? I mean, I think that kind of application of fintech is quite broad, and it includes you know larger organisations that have a footprint in the in the ecosystem. So I think that's what contributes to that figure in terms of areas that are really strong. I mean, Liverpool's really well known for its gaming. It's very strong in that sector. Health tech is very strong. We've got very good relationships with sort of universities and the hospital trusts. Um, So there's a lot of health tech innovation. Ed tech is also a strong sector. There's kind of a, you know, a lean towards tech for good, I guess. You can kind of see Mm -hmm. that through, through many of the... But when we were... Sort of looking at the criteria for Baltic Ventures and deciding should we be focused on particular subsectors or not, we decided to keep it agnostic. So we're, you know, we look at digital tech, but across any subsector or industry. There's such a diversity of talent across many different areas. So this might be a stupid question,
1: but Baltic Ventures strikes me as not being associated with
0: <laughs> the UK particularly. What's the
1: thing behind the name?
0: So one of our stakeholders is Baltic Creative Kick. So the Baltic is an area in Liverpool.
1: They get was a stupid question. I don't know my I don't know my areas of Liverpool well enough. <laughs>
0: I think the name came because it was where there were lots of dock warehouses. So you know, back in the last century, and you have a lot of trade routes coming from the Baltic through that pool. I'm, I'm assuming that's where the name came from interesting so baltic creative kick who's our landlord um they're a community landlord who've, who've helped redevelop the area so it's a super cool area you know think kind of shoreditch
1: in Liverpool. Yeah. Well, and actually, we're seeing that sort of regeneration of those areas all over the country. And the UK government is very keen to kind of level up and bring investment into different regions around the country. UKTN reported that Jeremy Hunt has just revealed the UK's first investment zone, which is in York. And I think that's very tied into universities as well, although the amount of money that's on offer, 80 million didn't sort of strike me as a lot. How do you think generally the government is doing? when it comes to this idea of investing in the regions and especially investing in startups and tech?
0: That's a fantastic question. Um, (laughs) So first of all, I I think, you know, I'm of an age now where I kind of see things progress. And I, I actually feel more hopeful than I probably ever have in my career because, I mean, when I first started, sort of looking at how we advocate for kind of northern founders and the northern tech ecosystem, there was no, there was no interest in that like, conversation in, in, in London, in, in you know, central government. The thinking at that time was very much on some level. So Tech City was only just starting up sort of 2012, 2013. So there was still a piece around government itself, understanding tech as an opportunity and how we need to be thinking about that. But there was also a mindset that, you know, London is the jewel in our crown and we should just put all our capital into London and that's kind of the right investment approach. And I think things have really shifted now. You know, we went through the Northern Powerhouse initiative and levelling up conversation. And I think that there is now a deep understanding that if we want to succeed as UK PLC, we have to be... In investing effectively across the whole country, you know, just just from our kind of experience, just in the applications over the last, there is so much talent, there's so much kind of entrepreneurial talent, you know, that's outside of London. And so I feel like at least we're kind of not having to fight that kind of battle of, of explaining why it's a good idea to invest outside London. I think there's still a big gap in terms of, how we actually do that effectively. I'd like to see kind of much more of a partnership approach and approaches that don't force different regions to compete against each other. I think that's kind of really key. We need to be much more collaborative. And I just had a really interesting conversation actually with someone who's looking at building a kind of a national fund of funds that looks at how pension funds, so that's kind of connected to the Jeremy Hunt conversation, how that, you know, we can have a fund of funds that pension funds can invest into that can then invest deep down into our ecosystem. So into accelerators, into spin outs, working with the universities, but how we do that kind of as a cross UK approach rather than each having a sub-economies of scale.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's not just about investment, is it? It's also about kind of bringing these communities together. And I know that there's lots of events that happen, networking events that happen in Manchester and I'm sure in Liverpool as well and all around the country. But we've not so long ago had London Tech Week. I wonder if you found that quite annoying that, you know, we have this sort of make a big deal of this thing that's all about London. Do, do, do you want to see a more national approach to kind of
0: bringing... The startup community together as well I don't find it at all annoying I mean I think it's like um you know an enormous competitive advantage for everyone in UK that that London is such a kind of globally recognized tech center and investment center it's just working out how we leverage that on a national level so it's not about one or the other I mean, I think, you know, I think it's important that all, each ecosystem bangs its drum. So, you know, London needs to do that as much as any anywhere else. And I think, you know, London Tech Week is fairly inclusive of other yeah. ecosystems. So no, I don't see that as, a, as an issue. You know, with all of these initiatives are kind of just bringing tech more into the fore and making it more accessible to a wider group of people. You know, we're not not in the sort of the tech bros world anymore where it's like this sort of exclusive (laughs) enclave for, for just a few people to kind of you know understand and it's yeah it's opening it up to more people
1: a quick message from our sponsor are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level sage intact is here to help Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting, and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Now, I'm sure that you would say that what Baltic Ventures brings to these early stage companies is more than investment, but it's also, you know, a lot of other support. So can you give me some kind of really, really concrete examples of what it is that you
0: offer beyond money? So the core part of our offer is the four month accelerator program that companies go through. So that's, that's a cohort based approach. So in addition to, you know, learning from your peers, which, you know, is so important in terms of you know, building those relationships. It's so lonely being a founder and if you've got other people who are going through similar experiences. But we have a very rich mentor network around Baltic Ventures so we can connect the companies into you know whether they're potential customers or potential NEDs or people who can just help open up their network. They get to work with coaches, so we build bespoke coaching teams. So if we identify what are the key metrics that they're working on, and 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 whether it's someone who's an you know an expert in sales or growth marketing, for example, kind of bringing that in. And then there's also a masterclass series and looking at how they, you know just making sure that they're kind of covering those key areas that entrepreneurs can, can often kind of fall down on. And there's a big piece as well about raising their profile. So whether that's for customer acquisition or attracting investment. So that's kind of at the centre of what Baltic Ventures offers. But then obviously around that, we've got a much broader community. We're looking at launching a pre-accelerator program for slightly earlier stage companies. Um, and we do loads of community events and support lots of community activities. So it's really just about how we can provide a forum and a community for early stage founders to learn from each other and to network and meet, meet you know, like-minded people who can support the business.
1: Your background is that you have founded a company and, you know, done very well with it. So what are the main tips you give your newbies, as it were, about how they grow, potentially expand globally? Is there sort of like a set of tips that you give each one or is it very individual depending on the company?
0: I mean, it's obviously individual depending on the company. Some are B2C, some are B2B, they're working in different areas. I mean, that's one of the reasons why for us domain expertise is so important because if you kind of you don't really know the area and what the problems are that you're looking to solve it can be really tough like it's you're in ideation stage for a long long time so you know I I guess number one advice is how deeply do you understand the problem that you're seeking to solve and and I think one of the kind of big mistakes that I often see founders going down is they they're they're very solution focused, but not problem focused. So they've got all these great ideas about what they want to build, but but where are your customers? How are you building a business that serves your customers and the market opportunity? So that's one area. It's probably kind of that I see most most founders kind of tripping up over, but we could talk all day. <laughs> kind of founders found difficult.
1: Yeah. And. I guess at the moment, one of the biggest challenges is the economy. So what's your kind of advice about how they weather these
0: kind of pretty turbulent economic times? It's often with early stage tech companies, it can be a kind of a double-edged sword in that actually where there is economic turbulence, there can be more opportunity, but it depends what area they're in. I think one of the things that we're seeing most challenging is that how it's affecting investor appetite. And so, you know, if if companies were on a particular investment runway trajectory, and suddenly that's taken out from under them, it's particularly affecting sort of some of the later stage companies. But yeah, I, I always stay kind of positive and optimistic kind of, you know, where, where's the opportunity and the storms that are ha- happening. And I think You know, when we are going through these periods of turbulence, it's where opportunities can kind of uncover themselves and you can start. to. And, 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 you know, this is what I love about working with startups. They can move so much more quickly than larger companies. You know, corporates are just not really well structured and adapted to, um, you know, adapt quickly to changes in the market so that it kind of opens up opportunities for startups to step in.
1: Now you hinted there uh, at the fact that we've seen a big downturn in funding for startups. You know, as a result of rising interest rates. Well, what is the picture like? I know that, that people in this area tend to sort of downplay the problems because they want to maintain this optimism that you also mentioned. But realistically,
0: is there money out there for these companies? So there is is money out there. It's easy, isn't it, with the headlines to kind of have like a sort of like a blanket story about what's happening. And actually, it's much more nuanced. There are investors who've already raised their funds, and so they're going to deploy them, but they're probably a little bit less spend happy than they were a couple of years ago. So they're looking for better deals. No, No bad thing. They're looking for kind of more sustainable valuations, which I I think again is no bad thing. It doesn't really serve anyone to have wild fluctuations and bubbles. And that's when the corrections come. I think some of the investors like SoftBank pulling out of the market, that's had quite a big impact. So it's things like that where major investors have made you know made different decision based on what's kind of gone over the last couple of years that that sort of impacts and 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 some of those that are raising funds are having more difficulty but it, yeah i mean it's it's not a complete completely disastrous but i think it just means everyone needs to be a bit more cautious and less presumptuous about kind of you know whether they'll raise or they just have to raise their game a bit in terms of okay are we really focused on the profitability and the kind of path to that rather than getting carried away and hype bubbles, whether it's, you know, around Web3 or whatever the latest kind of fad is. Yeah. So so you
1: think people are looking for more solid investments. So are there particular areas of tech that are seen as the safe bets at the moment? I'm guessing not Web3. Because we don't really know what it even means, do we? It means different things to other people. As a journalist, I'm quite pleased that uh, we're getting rid of some of the hype and some of the nonsense that goes alongside these um, areas of tech. But yeah, is there, is there stuff that's,
0: yeah, this is a safe bet. This is where we're going to put all our money. I mean, I'm seeing kind of investors really sort of defaulting to what they know. That's kind of, you know, really varied. But it's like, okay, do I really understand this space and what the opportunities are and what the challenges are? Okay, then I feel more comfortable to invest in rather than kind of taking a punt on stuff that feels more outside of their domain domain experience, That's just what I'm kind of seeing. So you can see in the stats that there are adjustments in different sectors, but I don't think it's really clear kind of what's kind of winning at the moment. You've got a big downturn recently reported in climate tech, for example. So I think that's probably a partly a kind of people realising they don't understand what they're investing in quite yet. And there's not enough kind of expertise and talent in that space to really know what that market opportunity is yeah
1: that's interesting because it seems to me from reading your sort of bio that sustainability is very dear to your heart one of the things that I saw that you do um, alongside your work at Baltic Ventures is that you're a non-executive director of farm urban so I just wanted yeah. to ask you a quick question about vertical farming because I've written about it in the past it's been a fascinating area to me but I feel like it's sort of I don't know what's happening now it was a big again like all tech it got a lot of hype a few years ago and it was talked about as the next great thing in farming and I haven't really heard an awful lot since so
0: Get me up to date with what's going on with vertical farming, especially in the UK. So Farm Urban is a is a not for profit currently, and they're a spin out from Liverpool University. And I think um, it, it's been interesting, kind of working with the team because for a long time they've been saying the unit economics are just not there with vertical farming for it to scale successfully. And so I think that's where you're kind of seeing that correction in the market. The sort of approach that we're kind of looking at through Farm Urban is really kind of looking at how vertical farming can reimagine food supply chains within an urban environment so you know thinking ahead it's crazy how we're sort of shipping food across the world especially you know especially fresh food it's like that's just that's yeah. just not sustainable from um, a climate perspective and the fact that you have got increasing demographics moving into cities so the idea that all food for cities is grown kind of elsewhere and then shipped in. So we're kind of, there's an approach around kind of how you work property developers and how you kind of work with sort of urban spaces, both from a kind of a leisure and engagement and, a, and a perspective, and also thinking about kind of how people are learning about food and nutrition. So it, there's a much more kind of holistic approach, but it's still very early in its life in terms of What does that look like as a commercialised proposition? But I think as kind of more people are really taking seriously how we we shift to more sustainable ways of living.
1: You mentioned earlier that you were interviewing hundreds of companies. Coming towards the end of the podcast, so I just wanted to finish off by asking you what areas of tech particularly excited you. You know, what co- you don't have to necessarily name individual companies, but I'm sure there were ideas there that made you go, "Oh, that's exciting." What what were a couple of the things that you you're
0: really excited about? So, so that's that's a question I get asked a lot. You know, what areas of tech? But actually. For me, it's the founders that excite me rather than the tech itself, because I'm much more interested in sort of the human connection to tech and like what they are looking to create with that. I think tech in and of itself can be used, you know, applied in different ways. I think I think the genius of great founders is really looking at that kind of problem solution, problem market fit and applying it in a way and and something uh, you know that is useful for humanity you talked a bit about my interest in impact that's kind of the main piece I just love working with founders who have great vision and kind of can see a really inspiring use case or opportunity so I think you know just looking at the founders that applied it's how they kind of have creatively used I mean obviously everyone's talking about AI right now right and looking at and I I do think AI is different as a category than the other kind of hype bubbles that we've had because it's as, as a piece of technology you know it, it can be applied so easily to sort of change makers you know increase productivity and just make things more efficient than we're already doing so it's not really looking necessarily initially at how we change structures like in web3 which is looking at how we completely transform ownership structures and reimagine our kind of relationship to Data, for example, it's it's I think I think I think the sort of the the routes to application for AI are much easier once the technology is there. But um, yeah, for me, it's it's about the founders and just sort of what they're sort of bringing through in terms of products. and, And it's very varied. It's really varied, like how they're applying it. So, you know, some of the some of the founders are looking at how we solve the issue for example of um you know child labor in supply chains and how we're investing in that in sort of through pension funds etc others who are thinking about how we improve code literacy but using kind of automated approaches to that so yeah it it it's there's there's some there's, there's some yeah really kind of yeah fantastic founders that are kind of because i'm i'm just not interested in sort of yeah the 15 minute grocery model it's like how how things can be a little bit more convenient or that whole journey that i think we've been on really with tech over the last 10 years i'm starting to see some really interesting founders now coming through looking at really meaty problems or and how we can apply technology to that fascinating stuff and i couldn't agree more with
1: you that we need to start thinking more about the human in tech because uh, tech for tech's sake is something that's always been a bugbear of mine thank you so much claire lewis for talking to us and for everybody that's listening to keep up to date with the latest uk tech developments head over to www.uktech.news don't forget to follow uktn on linkedin and twitter where you can also get in touch with me at jane wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show until next time Goodbye from me. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting, and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact.